So uh, first of all, if this is your first time attending Outwitting the Devil, I'm sorry you missed all the other ones, but it's going to be okay. I'll catch you up in like two minutes. But first, I want to talk about what's coming next. Um, As Srikant mentioned, this is the final episode of Outwitting the Devil. Next week, we're going to take a break from the switch. And the week after that, we will start uh, a much shorter series on Scott Barry Kaufman's book, Transcend. So if you've not picked it up and you want to pick it up and read it and sort of talk along with us with the material, it's called Transcend by Scott Barry Kaufman. And if anyone needs the link, uh, Alex, do you mind just finding it on Amazon real quick and putting the link in the chat? Cool. Alex is going to do that for you. Cool. All right. So welcome, everyone. This is our final week of Outwitting the Devil. Uh, Just a quick recap for anyone who has never heard of Outwitting the Devil. It was written in 1938 by Napoleon Hill. He also authored Think and Grow Rich, which was, you know, about sort of success principles. He's the the father of modern um, self-development literature, uh, and he really started that whole thing. However, Outwitting the Devil was withheld from publication for being too controversial. It was not published until 2011, where we were finally given this this wonderful gift of of a manuscript. Um, The reason it was too controversial is because it takes place as a conversation between Mr. Earthbound, Napoleon, and the devil. And there are many ways of interpreting whether this was a real conversation with a real devil or metaphor or delusion. It doesn't matter because what we got from this was a set of principles about how to, a framework for understanding how people are are led astray by internal and external forces uh, away from their potential to self-actualize. And in the book, the devil calls this drifting. He induces people to drift by various methods. Things uh, like, you know, taking advantage of their natural desires, um, really leveraging human nature to distract people from what would ultimately give them a meaningful and satisfying life. And the non-drifters of the world embody a different set of principles. They, they have definiteness of purpose. They know what they want from life. They don't give in to fear. They uh, do all of these things. They extract from defeat the seed of equivalent advantage. They render service. They insist upon getting what they want. Uh, they have faith in their ability to make life provide what they want from it. And so in this book, we not only learn all the ways that the devil induces people to drifting, we learn all of the ways to turn that around and become non-drifters ourselves. Now, unfortunately, there is a warning that not everybody will do it. Uh, He says less than 2% of people will become non-drifters, even if they, you know, have some knowledge of these, of these things. So where does that leave us? Well, For the last few weeks, we have been going through a set of 11 principles one by one and seeing what we can do to understand the principles better and to help ourselves embody those things. And this week is our final principle. And it goes as follows. Be definite in everything you do and never leave unfinished thoughts in the mind. Form the habit of reaching definite decisions on all subjects. Now this principle is a little bit different from the other 10 that we've studied in that this principle is the overarching principle. This is supposed to capture the entire idea of outwitting the devil and embody within it all of the other sub principles that we've talked about so far. 
So once again, be definite in everything you do and never leave unfinished thoughts in the mind. Form the habit of reaching definite decisions on all subjects. So Alex, let's talk about this principle. What, what does this mean to you? Why, why is this the overarching principle that captures everything? And how do you relate to it? I mean, it really brought up a lot of things from all the past. So I think it's a, it's a solid overarching principle. Um, I'll just kind of take you on my train of thought why I feel that way. So if you aren't definite in everything you do and you leave these unfinished thoughts, you never really get to the destination of where a path or an idea or a way of life leads or not even just a destination, but like you don't go far enough to really see where it's going. Um, and because you never get to a po that point, you're never really learning. Is this something I want my life to be more like? Is this a experience I want to continue to cultivate and keep? And because I see its value, is it something that I really don't want to continue? And you know, I'll extract the seed of equivalent advantage, which a big part of that is I realize that this specific thing is not something I want. And if you don't get to that point, I think we also have a really poor ability to accurately assess why we didn't do it. I, I, I think very often people kind of let something being unfinished um, kind of taint or, or they have negative uh, concepts about that come up, whether it's you know placing blame on yourself or others for why um, for why you didn't finish it or didn't accomplish something. You know, a lot of people turn, well, I didn't do it because this or that. And, and then those thoughts, as we see in this book, just really easily turn into drifting where, you know, I couldn't do it because of this. And, you know, that also affects this other aspect of my life. So I probably really can't do it there either. And it just can create this, this downward trend of, of self-talk and experiences. So I, I think that's really what it is. It's like, when you decide to do something, make sure that you're taking full advantage of it, even if it's a negative experience, which is you know one of the, the principles. So yeah, just don't leave anything hanging and basically neglect to do all of the former principles. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way that I see this principle, if I can boil it down to two primary things, I would say it's about attention and deliberation. So on the one hand, attention. Attention is essentially all we have control over. You know, one of the principles says, uh, the only thing you have full control over is your mind. And you need to, there's another one that says, think your own thoughts. Um, and really that's about paying attention to things. So when this says, don't leave any unfinished thoughts in the mind, I think what that means is your attention is very, very important. If you pay close enough attention to thoughts, and I, I don't know if, Napoleon Hill was uh, mindful enough to notice this, but if you pay close enough attention to your thoughts, you'll notice that they just sort of happen to you and you have reactions to them. You can, uh, you know, grasp at pleasant thoughts. You can try to push away unpleasant thoughts, or you can ignore neutral thoughts, but there's a reason that your subconscious feeds you the thoughts that it feeds you. It's because there's something important about those thoughts. Now that doesn't mean those thoughts are true. 
right? There are plenty of instances, especially if you're somebody who's self-deprecating, underconfident, uh, have, you know, some sort of mental disability, like you can have thoughts that come up that are not true and not helpful, but they're still worth paying attention to. So that's the attention part for me. The other part about definiteness, about being deliberate, you know, we talked a little bit, uh, and we'll talk more about this when we go through Transcend, about how self-esteem, and uh, that's, that's a poor term for it, but that's the term that's used, life satisfaction, all those things actually come from two major sources psychologically. The first source being deep connections with people. It's a, it's a, we're social creatures, right? So having good friendships, good deep connections with others is the one half. The other half of that sort of life satisfaction formula is the feeling that you have some mastery over your own domain, right? Feeling that you can actually purposefully do something and have effects outside of yourself, right? So the maybe examples would be better there. The extreme example of having no effect over your domain would be like a prisoner, right? You can scream all you want. You can say all the things that you want. You can, you know, beat against the walls. You can try to push things. You can do whatever you want. You're still in prison, right? You have no power, I guess is sort of a a baggage laden word for it. And on the other end of that, you might have somebody who has fully mastered themselves, something like a successful entrepreneur, not all successful entrepreneurs, but many successful entrepreneurs like a Tony Robbins or something who uh, has the, the discipline to have the life that they want. They have the definiteness of purpose to have the life that they want. And when they exert their will into the world, things happen that, that, they, that are congruent with their intentions in those exertions. So that's the other half of that life satisfaction part is being able to make deliberate decisions that have the effects that you want. And I think definiteness of purpose, knowing what you, knowing what it is that you want and executing on it uh, and understanding how every single one of your actions lives in the context of your, your purpose, whatever that means, um, that, that guides everything. Otherwise, otherwise you're drifting, right? That's what drifting is, is not having definiteness of purpose. So I know that's sort of a circular uh, explanation, but that's how I see this principle. I see it as the most important overarching principle that embodies all of the rest. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and there is something you know, kind of circular to it where it's, it, it, it's all a cycle, right? And it all kind of feeds back into itself. And, and I think one of the things we both kind of touched on just to reiterate it was really, it's almost like you're cultivating your feeling of free will, right? You're, you're feeling that <laughs> what you do matters, right? And that you can choose your life. The, the feeling that that matters and that you're not just beholden to everything that's going on, um, you know, despite, <laughs> you know, other, other uh, free will stuff. Yeah, I, you, you knew why I was smiling. <laughs> Maybe that's a that's another podcast topic that we can uh, hit is Sam Harris's uh, book Free Will. Um, yeah, but I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 
Okay, so here's the question for the audience. Uh, anyone can participate. If, if you'd like to uh, chime in at any moment, just throw an exclamation point in the chat, then we'll call on you. You can unmute and uh, you, know, you, you can sort of say your thoughts your way and be part of the conversation like that. Um, for anyone really, but specifically, like I wanna hear from some of the people who've been to all of these episodes or people who have read the book uh, so, you know, Dave, Joe, Ritesh, Jeff, uh, Stephen, people, who, people who've been here uh, a while. What have you gotten from either Outwitting the Devil, uh, the book, or this set of principles, or even our study of it in, in the context of this, this weekly meeting? Like, what are the most important things you've got? Um, and if you want, you can relate them to this week's principles, but I, I'm... I'm mostly interested in like the general idea. What are, what are the most important things you've gotten from this? And have you changed any way that you live your life, uh, even just a little bit from some of these principles? So anybody who wants to jump in on that, feel free to. All right, Joe, let's hear you. Um, I think render service first is still, you know, that coming into this was perhaps the one I identified the most with. And uh, that's what I really took away with, that I, it still resonates with me, is that you do something without the expectation of something coming back to you. And that, uh, that ultimately, you know, things do, you, you start to focus on things that are valuable. And to me personally, that, that, that's something that's going to stick with me uh, going forward. The others, I mean, there's a, there's a whole host here. I mean, the idea of fear and letting the fear dictate my, my decisions, I mean, if, as an overall theme, you know, that's something that I've really kind of, as I've journaled more, um, I've kind of, that's kind of jumped out on a page, on pages to me is the, it's really become clear that you know certain fears were driving a lot of my decisions um and you know just those are the first couple of initial thoughts as far as being definite and intentional decisions i think that what you just said was really important was that it once you decide and you finish something is that it's it prevents you from telling you telling yourself a story that isn't necessarily true. And because you made a decision, you finished something and you don't look back and say, what if? And I think that that's a really important thing to have uh, because if you start, you know, it starts, that can start a, uh, some negative self-talk where you can also uh, when it comes down to the, you know, it, it's not necessarily real. Like it, you, it could just end badly where you just start to go into the spiral. Well, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? And it really prevents you from being in the present moment. So um, that was, those were the, you know, the ones that were most significant. I think there was one week, um, one of the most impressive things was I, in the goal setting phase, as you were talking about, you know, switching your income and, going out on your own and the week later you came back, I quit my job. And I was like, well, that was pretty, 
<laughs> well, now that that was uh, yeah that made me feel a little bit insignificant in the sense of my progress because you came back and a week later you had accomplished uh you'd figured out a way to flip the uh income uh and pursue a lot of your dreams but that was actually really inspiring actually uh on a number of levels actually and that was really impressive so i'm very happy for you personally chase as well thanks joe yeah and i appreciate everything that you just said there um I'm glad that you've you've gotten something out of this, and I I, I do remember at the beginning, uh, specifically uh, when you were when we were talking about all the principles together and which ones people were interested in, and you spoke up about those two at that point as well about service and about fear, and yeah, th those were some of the the greatest um, principles in this series, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, and I, and I want to thank both you and Chase for everything that you guys did uh in in navigating hosting this series i mean it's really been uh, uh a pleasure from and, and a benefit to me personally so uh very much appreciate your efforts in this uh in this in all your podcasts so thank Thanks. you yeah and chase just to, to comment on that as well I, I agree with joe that's that might be my favorite or most important principle because it, it really kind of confirms, I think, something in, that I've always had in my intuition, which was I, I want to just like try to do stuff and provide value and like like give to others, not worry upfront as much about what I'm getting in return. And, you know, it's so many um, influences and social, social pressures encourage against that. Like, why are you doing that? Like, what are you getting in return? And like, there's a lot of discouraging um, influences and it's just helped me to be more sure of that path and and just uh really understanding that that is the way to act cool jeff didn't realize i was next so um so i i too want to thank you both for for doing this it has um been a fascinating uh path to re-travel um, with you all. And, um, and I, I actually agree with what you said at the top here. I think that this really is possibly um, the most important one of, of all of them. And, and here's why. Um, I, I'm a very strong believer that having a, a sense of one's purpose in life is, is not only a, a, you know, sort of a somewhat of a challenge to discover, but, but is maybe one of the strongest guides that, that we can experience. You know, it's kind of like they say, you know, that the day you're born and the day you discover why you were born are two of the most important days of your life. Um, that resonates with me. And, and so once you begin to, to feel like you have a sense of that, the ability to then say, okay, well, what, what, you know, what is my, what are my intuitions maybe about where I should go, what I should do, what are my passions, what I feel strongly about or care about, um, and, and how do I think about it? You know, what do I, how do I think about what my options are and, and begin to think about what principles I want to observe, uh, uh, pay attention to and try and, and, and live out. Um, I end up with stuff that I'm going to do. I have to make some decisions regarding what I'm going to do, which I think is really the heart of this. But um, 
you know the old you know the old question uh, you know what, what if there's five frogs on a rock and four of them decide to jump off the rock how many how many frogs are left on the rock and, and the answer is five because deciding is different from doing hmm. and that the the process of doing and then learning from the from whatever it is that you do and learning the right things learning the things that make you um, stronger, wiser, more ability to, more able to make better choices. And then if you learn good things, then you iterate. And, and iterating the, in ways that are aligned with your intuition and your reason and your purpose and your principles and having learned the right things from your experience that's what I think this last principle is all about. And um, so that's why I think it really does uh, incorporate um, all of the things that we've discussed. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. I think, Joe, do you wanna, yeah, go ahead. Um. There was just one week, I, I forget if it might have been the second pr principle really quickly. And I just thought that this was really important to add. Um, it was basically where we went through with Shrikant and, and yourselves. We set up our ideal selves. And that was really, I can't believe I forgot to mention that because that was really important for me in order to, you know, really start to put together some goals for me in the upcoming year. And when we did that, that was a, a very helpful exercise that is still yielding benefits to me because I've also been able to reduce those goals, uh, meaning not reduce them in number, but really make them a, a more precise and real. And uh, that was something that I would not have been able to do without this setting and this exercise. So uh, thank you both for that. I'm glad you said that, Joe, because that, that's where I was going to go next, actually. Um, I think for me, you know, I, I, like I said, I think this is the most important overarching principle, but one of the most actionable and useful things <clears throat> that I got out of this whole journey was the ideal future self exercise. And I've been obsessed with it. Um, for anybody who has not done this exercise, I recommend it in whatever form suits you best, whether it's prose, whether it's like, for me, it's very technical, like a D&D character sheet almost, uh, define for yourself a very clear picture of what you want from life as your ideal future self. You're going to become your future self no matter what. Why not make it your ideal future self? Why not aim for that? Build out what that character looks like. And we, we gave some questions that really help with doing that. We gave some prompts that help you like sort of flesh out what, what meaningful stuff to put in there. Uh, and for me, like I said, I've been obsessed with that exercise. And some of the, the like, I, I can't take credit for coming up with that. A lot of my ideas for that exercise came from my friend, John, uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, is he still hosting the Friday meetups? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So he hosts meetups on Friday. So if you really like that exercise, definitely check out his, um, because like, that's, that's a big thing that I got from just learning from him was you have to know your future self like, like it's a person standing in front of you and 
all the time check in and be like, what would this person do? Like he's even got a name for his future self, a different name than his own so that he can actually say like, what would Zeno do? It's so cool. Um, yeah. Uh, Katten. Hi. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I don't want to, I didn't read the book and I didn't come to every single meetup, but the one that blatantly stood out and I might've already mentioned it was the courage is a muscle and you have to train it every day. And I do that every day. And even if I don't do it in the grand big decision that's looming, um, I still do little, little bits of it. Like for example, in the beginning, I was trying to do this Wim Hof cold shower stuff, you know, for my health. And every time I thought I was going to my execution firing squad, now I just say, fear is not an option. Turn the knob and just, you know, it's just, that's, so I really, that just stood out for me. And I'm hoping that I can apply to a little bit broader parts of life. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I, I recommend that exercise, just, even if it's just the cold shower thing. Uh, yeah, it's an experience. JJ. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, so thanks. Basically, I think that, um, well, it seems to me that internally you would have some control of how you would want your future self to be. But externally, because of unpredictables, um, I, I see that as being difficult and you could be setting yourself up for disappointment. So is um, is he talking about mainly your character or is he talking having principles about what kind of character you want to have in the future or even uh, what kind of you know, things you want to have or station in life or, you know, more concrete things? Yeah, so this is where, uh, and again, John and I align on, on this and I know a bunch of people in here are fans of the Stoics. Um, when you're talking about your ideal future self, I would say include both the virtue part of it, the characteristics that you want to embody, and the material, which the Stoics would refer to as the preferred indifference. Um, because you're not necessarily assigning uh, moral valence to everything on that list of your ideal future self what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to move in a certain direction. And you're right. You're absolutely right. That if you put material things on that list, you are setting yourself up for disappointment um, because you may not achieve all of those things. But if you also include character qualities on that list, you're setting yourself up to deal well with that disappointment and to deal with it in a way that maintains your character. Uh, so that's the way that I see that. And the alternative is don't picture your ideal self and drift to wherever you are going to end up and deal with it that way. I, I mean, you know, I, I, by no means would I say that this is the only way to live your life, but that's sort of how I would uh, respond to that. So good question. Um, Am. Hey, uh, I just joined this uh, meeting. It's my first day. Um, before that, I was actually, I, I, I just joined this course, a paid course called Personal Mastery. And uh, 
they talk about like how the awareness, a lot of the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Akhtar Tolle, The Power of Now. Um, so I was kind of curious, like you mentioned, like uh, the thoughts, having a complete thought, but you know, in this course, what I'm taking is they talk about like how, uh, you know, people, they usually perceive life through external and internal, but they don't think there is awareness. Like even your emotionals and thoughts, they are also the object, just like the external environment is. And not necessarily every thought that comes in, you need to identify with it. And then people end up becoming a victim of it. So in this course, it's all about, uh, you know, disengaging, and so that if you disengage from the thought and you just accept the emotional, whatever the emotion comes at the moment, then it just releases itself rather than you constantly feeding with the thoughts and the emotions and it just becoming a victim of it, trying to find a solution within. So I kind of, I don't, dis- I, I mean, again, I didn't read the book, but I don't agree with the idea that every thought that comes in it needs to be identified with. Uh, some thoughts are just makes you unhappy and there's no, you know, there's, there's something that Tartoli talks about being stuck in a psychological time. We're constantly ruminating. And um, there's a book that I was reading is called what to say when talking to yourself, it talks about like how 60% of your thoughts are negative every single day. You, you get these kind of thoughts that are always negative. Um, I don't know. That's just my two cents. I mean, I'm sorry if I said anything wrong, guys. No, you didn't say anything wrong at all. Um, You know, I would actually say, I think that those ideas are compatible. I think the advice not to leave unfinished thoughts in your mind isn't advice to identify with every single thought and think, oh yeah, this thought's correct. And this is me thinking this thought. Uh, I think at least from what I understand and what I've experienced through, you know, sort of mindfulness training, mindfulness meditation, um, is that, you know, you, you are, um, like you said, the, the, the internal versus external dichotomy is, is not subject object so much as it is, uh, you know, those are, they're, they're all sort of object, um, I'm, I'm not sure how to, how to word my way through explaining why I think those things are compatible, but I, I think it's worth investigating, uh, you know, like the Eckhart Tolle approach and seeing that in the same light as, you know, something useful, like the outwitting the devil, uh, Napoleon Hill type approach. Alex, do you, if you want to chime in on any of the mindfulness stuff, I know you're also in that realm, um, if you want. At least from my experience, I agree with what you said kind of up top where even if, because I definitely agree that some thoughts are not good to dwell on, but I do think the way you phrased it earlier was there's something useful there. It might not be that thought. It might not even be the thing below that. It might be something deeper, some like issue you've never worked through. It, It might be something that's hidden the surface it's causing this thing to keep coming up and even though that that thought itself might be um you know one of those like you said 60 percent negative thoughts that just kind of puts a damper on your experience it by kind of again i'm not a you know psychologist i you know i don't know the the 
full nature of, of, of thoughts or nor does anybody, I guess, but it, at least from my experience, there's usually something there that's telling you something. And uh, to me, it def it's a very different thing to, to dwell on it and to try to dig deeper and find out why it's there. And then by doing that, allowing it to release and, and to not be continually shoved down under the water. But that's my thoughts. Thank you. M much better said than <laughs> I was coming up with in the moment. All right, uh, Ritesh. Yeah, um, I only come to a few of these, um, but the to me the one singular most powerful uh, takeaway was there is a um, subconscious layer of of a subconscious program running, and and that is driving in a way the actions we do. And getting that, getting that layer, getting to that layer, whether it's through affirmations or your ideal self or, and getting it to not sabotage yourself, right? Uh, so there's a conscious thing that says, hey, you know, I gotta do X, Y, Z. And somewhere along the way, um, even if we are doing everything, the, the, the way we look at things, the choices we make, um, we end up in a very subtle way sabotaging it. Right. Well said. And and I think I think that is also the source of like you talk about people, entrepreneurs who are who are charismatic. I always wonder what is that? I mean, is that an insane level of self-belief? What is it? I, I think part of it is they have they have an alignment with with their subconscious and conscious programs. And maybe other people don't for whatever reason. And getting the two to just, you know, maybe they're like this, just get a little bit more alignment, um, whether it is through in affirmations or hypnosis or whatever you wanna call that. But the 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 counterpoint I also have is I think when we hear a lot of thoughts that are not going to completion, they are like, oh. I'm not sure about this. That is speaking. That's a that's a that's a flag or a red flag or a yellow flag of of something in the subconscious that is not convinced about this. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so so yeah. So I I, I will see it that way. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Bodan. Yeah. Hello. Um, I think uh, it's very fascinating to see somebody committed and focused and on purpose and um, and living one's uh, vision. Um, I think that's fascinating, and I think that's what he's promoting. However, um, one asks the question whether one has done enough exploration and enough comparison shopping to find out whether one um, has been has sold him or herself short. Um, maybe one has not explored enough of oneself or enough options or traveled enough to find out possibilities um, in a comparative way. Um, and then making and then then having made a commitment. So for me, there's always a tension between exploration and commitment. When does exploration end and when does commitment um, surface? Um, and one, when 
does is one really sure that that commitment is the capital D commitment for oneself or should be the commitment for oneself? Uh, excellent. I'm glad that you said that because that brings up something that I continually neglect to mention because for me, it's, it's so integrated into this idea. Uh, what's the difference between drifting and exploration? deliberateness, doing it on purpose, right? So if you are exploring, like you said, if you're expanding your horizons, if you're uh, trying to integrate new ideas, you're trying to experience new things uh, and you are doing that on purpose, I would say that that is definiteness of purpose, right? That's not, that's not a sign of drifting. But if you are acting with lack of purpose not really knowing why you're doing that, not really having any understanding of what you're doing, not uh, paying attention to your experience, not integrating what you experience. I think that's drifting. And I think that that is ultimately unhelpful to the, the ultimate goal of, you know, self-transcendence uh, of, uh, of self-actualization of, um, life satisfaction. But anyway, uh, Jade. Um, all right. Um, before I get to my point, it'll be quick. I was actually reading this book before I started coming to um, this meetup nice. with a group. Um, and it's mind boggling how different both groups are. Um, I tend to walk in a lot of different circles. Um, and one of the women ardently um, opposed almost every idea, um, mainly because she felt like the concept of the independence was ridiculous. Um, they're also very politically minded and very religiously minded. So everything was framed with there. And I was like, but you're trying to contextualize. Like, I think the way they were contextualizing it as opposed to making it more of a personal philosophy they were trying to make it more of like, maybe they were making a political philosophy. I don't know what it was, but it just kept being like, but broad scheme, it won't work. But I was like, I was trying to explain how it could potentially work. Um, and I don't think I've succeeded. We probably have one more day of discussing it. Um, but I've heard today a lot of conversation about thinking about things um, and the word rumination came up and I've always kind of gone to bat for the concept of rumination and I don't think I ever completely knew why until maybe now. And I don't know if I fully know why now either. Um, but I feel like rumination, cause like when you think about a cow, a cow ruminates, he regurgitates. And I know that's gross for people, but it's what he does or she does, she, it's always a she. Um, that's, that's what a cow does. And with thoughts, you do that also, and they're separate stomachs. And I think the concept of rumination gets a bad rap because we have bad mental digestive systems, or we don't know what di our digestive system actually contains of. We don't know, I think it's your ruminant or whatever it is, what those would be. Like, I kind of feel like everything, if you can't digest something, like as someone who has stomach problems, it will sit in your stomach and it'll actually make you sick if you can't digest something properly physically. 
And you, when that happens mentally, I feel like the same thing happens. You can't get the nutrients from it, or perhaps it needs to pass through you quickly, which I won't give you the physical equivalent for that. Um, but it, it's, it's um, <clears throat> I'm getting off track mentally. Give me one second, because I did write stuff down while people were talking that I wouldn't get too off track. Um, but, I, but I really do think there is something, I, I can't get back on track, but I do really think that there is something about the concept of being able to, oh, sit with your thoughts. And I think, honestly, this, the stomachs where you take it down and you bring it back up and then you get down, it's like you might have a thought where you, you digest this emotionally. Let me digest this with my emotional um, self, stomach or room, whatever it's called. Then you might go to my relational. How does this work with me and the people around me? How does this work for me personally, objectively, logically, um, creatively? What's a creative way to digest this? Like, how can I, how can I leverage this create creatively? Um, or how can this create me into something else? Or um, there are just probably a million different ways that you can take something and, and, and break it down so that it becomes something that, ha, 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 that becomes internalized. Because I think a lot of what happens with information is we don't internalize it. We just take it and it was, that's the concept of the one ear out the other. And that's a lot of what happens with fat, which is why I've always been boggled by like, why doesn't anybody like this anymore? This is the thing you've loved, but they didn't internalize whatever that thing was. That, that didn't become a part of them, their style, who they are. Even thoughts as fads is because it's not really internalized. It's not digested. It didn't become a part of your, your DNA or whatever it is. And I'm sure some side person can chime in and say how long it takes for the food you eat and the cells you've generated from that to leave your body. But those things don't leave easily. And I think that's people also have such a hard time reinventing themselves because I don't know what the mental equivalent for cellular turnover is, but it has to be something, there has to be some kind of parallel there. I don't know what it is. Um, and that might be shooting, at, um, pulling at straws and creating a little uh, straw man, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. I just don't know how to construct something. Um, I don't have enough, I don't know enough, or maybe I just haven't digested this enough to create something sturdy with it. Um, and it's again, like when you digest, you know, even cruddy situations, you can make manure. So it's like, what, 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 what are you going to get out of it? I, I love it. I, I love it. I'm going to use the cow metaphor from now on. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah, I could have been a little bit more graphic, but I was like, nah. <laughs> I, I think it would have been totally appropriate. That's yeah. yeah. Sometimes you need the graphic details to get people's attention, and then they'll they'll be like, "What the heck are you talking about? I thought this was about a book, and you're talking about cows regurgitating." And at that point, you rope them in and say, "Ah, this is why it's important to understand this." Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you, Jade. Am. Hey. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, talking about your um, ideal life, uh, I was I read a biography a few years back. Um, I think like someone like Arnold, I read his biography, Total Recall. I feel like, I mean, if you think about like optimum 
uh, success. Somebody who has like four different careers. I mean, he was a bodybuilder. He was also a millionaire. Uh, you know, he went into a real estate before he became an actor. And then he obviously he became one of the top Hollywood actor in 90s. And then after that, he became uh, a governor of state uh, state of California. Um, I think one thing about him was that his uh, visualization, he always talked about him visualizing his future and he never sort of drift. Like a lot of time people, what happen is they tend to drift or they don't have certain goals that they don't stick with. I mean, a lot of people, you know, there's a study they've done, they said only like, uh, you know, people give up their uh, new year resolution in the first two weeks of, of new year. Nobody goes to the gym afterwards. And, uh, you know, I was reading about this um, call, something called Transurfing Reality. And, uh, you know, it was basically talking about, uh, you know, from uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Uh, you know, it's called Breaking the Habit from Being Yourself. Uh, that's his book. It talks about like something called like a quantum mechanic. A phenomena called observer effects, meaning everything exists as a potential of reality until they are observe, observed, which uh, basically collapse into the reality. In a wave, electron remain invincible until they are observed. So, if sub particles, you know, can, if sub uh, subatomic particles can exist in an infinite number of possible places simultaneously, then we are potentially capable of uh, collapsing into the existence and like an infinite number of possible reality. In other words, if you can imagine any future in your life based on any one of your personal desire, that reality already exists in the possibility in the quantum field waiting to be observed by you. So if your mind can influence the appearance of, uh, of an electron, then theoret theoretically it can influence the appearance of any possibility. I think the most closer to I can think is like what Dr. Strange did with the time stone, looking through all the possibility of winning the final battle with uh, Thanos. So I, you know, it's something like, uh, you know, I feel like sometimes maybe we are um, overthinking these things, you know, so all the choices exist now. We need to maintain the intention constantly and having the willingness to go through it. So wanting and hoping means nothing because it is just fear. So you need to build a willingness to act, uh, to have that which you desire, your, your willingness and intention consistently. So, uh, so basically it needs to be like a path of least resistance, thought and action you can choose, which is the optimal path. So your, so your goal already exists as a potential. And um, you know, we can finally stop battling with this idea that somehow this world or this uh, to take action, knowing about life is, is, is sort of against you. So if we just commit to the single process and willing to maintain the intention uh, throughout the journey. So if you can think about it, so you can think of the flashlight as the intention, the light from the flashlight as like a thought energy and the pointing of the flashlight as your will. So if you're constantly, you know, focusing and, and willingness willingly willingnessly maintaining your intention throughout the journey i think that's what it is and one of the things that arnold talked about is basically doing the reps like he his idea of constantly doing the reps like that's something that he learned early on in very young age and he applied that even he was like uh you know when he was shooting terminator to when he need to reload the gun with his one hand and he said i did it like 100 times i end up like hurting my my hand and he said that's how i got better and better and better and better so 
I don't know. I, that's just my thought. I mean, I look at someone like Arnold. I mean, you know, I'm sure he has a lot of failures too, but someone like him, I think he he lived like three, four times, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, nowadays I cannot think of anybody that, that did something like this, you know, that has like a four or five different careers. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And just to respond to that, actually, I, I, I think that Arnold was the first person who got me to the path that got me here, honestly, because starting to do bodybuilding when I was in high school was the first thing I think I ever confronted that was difficult for me that I was succeeded and pushed through and saw how a linear laid out path that was difficult would lead to progress and lead to being able to do things that I wasn't able to do. So it's a, a year after you start weightlifting to look back and see that you can lift literally twice the amount of weight. It, it just, it, um, you know, I think it, it really showed me that that is something that can be transferred to other parts of life. So having that belief that that's possible for most things uh, you know, allowed me to be more confident in moving forward with other things, you know, whether it's, you know, my practice of, you know, my career in music or anything like that. There's a certain kind of self-doubt that I don't have because it's, it's not so much about me anymore. It's about the process. It's about each little increment. And I'm able to externalize my success or failure basically and, and not take it as personally because I'm able to kind of tie it to a method, a, a process. And by doing that, I free up my mind to not be dwelling on negative self-talk all day. So that's my thoughts. Awesome. Okay. I feel like I have to issue one quick caveat. Um, I think you said a bunch of great stuff and I'm glad you brought Arnold and visualization into this. Uh, I do want to just issue the warning to be skeptical of the quantum mechanical explanation. Um, when you, take quantum mechanical phenomena and try to upscale, there's a decoherence effect that happens. Uh, we actually had a, a, uh, the head of Microsoft quantum research on the podcast, our first season, whatever, two, three years ago. Uh, and we, we talked a little bit about that. We talked mostly about the quantum technology and sort of where that could go. But, um, you know, and I think it's important that, to issue this caveat because a lot of people ground themselves in, in, you know, saying, well, you know, this approach is scientific because look at this quantum effect and, you know, we build up from there. Um, and I think that that's, that's a dangerous uh, or a precarious place to position yourself from. I don't think that you need a quantum mechanical justification for a lot of success principles. I don't think that's the way, because this isn't a science, I don't think that's the way to, to build uh, up from. And I think that can lead to places that are, are not as useful as just understanding the principles and exploring them for what they are and exploring them at the, uh, almost like the behavioral scientist level uh, that's another discussion, the difference between the behaviorists and the other um, psycho psychological scientists. But 
Uh, anyway, so I wanted to issue that caveat. Let's have Shrikant go next, and then we will uh, wrap up from there into the breakout rooms. I'll give you the just topics from there. Uh, I want to follow up on uh, amazing things that uh, Jade said about rumination. I want to kind of build up on that. And I also want to connect to what um, Bowden said about exploration um, and relate those things. So exploration is basically like tasting a whole bunch of things. And you really don't know what the world is. So it's, uh, exploration is critical of, of being open to what the world has to offer you and test everything. But again, you don't taste poisons. Uh, so, so you have to do a whole bunch of tasting. Like there is the feast that the world has offered you and you can't just simply say, okay, I'm just going to take this without exploring the rest. So that's one part of it. But exploration is only a start. What you do need to do next is to discern as you're exploring things, which of these things actually are going to build you up. Most of the things are fads like sugar. You know, that they're going to give you a temporary high. They're going to make you feel good and then they'll be gone and there is going to be a, you know, a low and you're going to crave more sugar. So you will be on that. And most people, when they consume thoughts, they are mostly like sugar and they are really as a way of distracting themselves from the necessity of actually thinking. Uh, they are just distractions and TV is really great for that. Um, the real thoughts are kind of like protein where you're kind of taking in and you you're kind of the thoughts that you're taking in become part of you. And it does take a lot of work repeatedly kind of going through it, exploring it. So I think the, the cow digestive system of multiple stomachs is exactly what you need. You need to kind of test it out. You need to kind of say, okay, maybe I can apply it this way. You need to actually, it is much more than that. It is, uh, okay, I don't want to, you know, to, to, if I wanted to extend the analogy, it's human beings don't just consume thoughts themselves. It is in, you know, you actually share it with other people, talk about it to other people, apply it in interaction with other people. So actually this testing that is going on and building that is going on is going across people. But only the thoughts that reach the level of being completely becoming a part of you, those are the thoughts that really count because the other ones um, are not going to have any impact on you. So it's only when the thought reaches a point where it creates that definite purpose. That's when you're getting the full force of it. And you do need to explore many things in order to find, find such a thing. And once you do that, you know, it's uh, incredibly powerful. So I, I love the, you know, the exploration. I love the idea of rumination uh, and also the idea of a half-life. You know, just like cells have half-life, ideas also have half-life. You moment you start working on such an idea, I mean, this is something that we talk about, I talked about uh, in the destruction and creation idea of uh, John Boyd, is that you have to be always open to the world. It has to be an open system and you have to notice the mismatches between even the idea that has worked really well for you, slight mismatches, 
and be ready to kind of rework uh, the idea. Uh, so, so thank you very much, Jade and uh, Bowden. Jeez. It's the meta cow. Uh, all right, I will let Jade go next as well because we're talking about uh, her idea and then we'll move to breakout rooms. So Jade, you're up. Sorry, it's just, um, oh, you made right. a very good point that reminded me of a point that's on my awful, like I have an awful paper with notes. Um, and um, those are great things that were brought up. And it kind of reminded me of the notes at the bottom of my page, which was kind of like, some people, like, as I was saying, some people have trouble digesting or the fast way to go. Like if you eat something bad, it'll come through you quickly. And I'll do um, details on that. But it's like some people will need a digivate because it'll take them a long time to get it. They can't do it. Sometimes. And some people, that's enough. They can still consume everything in the world. But there are also people who no matter what AIDS, no matter what intervention, they just still have to be on a limited diet. They still have to be very careful and very deliberate, which is what I'm picking up off of with what they consume. And it doesn't matter. It's like someone with celiacs. Like if you are the mental equivalent of someone with celiacs, it's just some things that you can't consume. It's like that person who just can't watch a violent movie. And everyone's like, why? why? No, I can't watch that. Or someone who can't go to, I don't know, wherever they go to loud parties. They, they just can't do it. Um, it they, they can't digest that for whatever reason. And if for some reason people come up with all kinds of fancy ways to get people to be able to deal with things, physically, mentally, they might come up with a way to do that or a strategy or, or something. Um, but I think those things are good to keep in mind too is because like we, we, to make accommodations for yourself um, whenever necessary. And if you do need a digestive aid, um, sometimes that's just like th something like this, throwing your ideas back and forth at someone else. It's like the equivalent of like the mama bird chewing on it and then giving it back to you. That's gross, but yeah. Mm -hmm. I love a good analogy. We got we got to see how far we can take that one. All right. So for uh, thank you, Jade, and thank you everybody for participating. We're going to move to breakout rooms for a few minutes, and then we'll come back and do wrap up discussion. Here is uh, the topic for the breakout rooms. I'm posting a link in the chat right now. Uh, hopefully, that link brings you to a document. Yes, it does. Called Qualities of Drifters and Non-Drifters, and this is directly from uh, outwitting the devil. Um, this is not a list that I created. This is directly from the book. And I want you to look through those lists. And oh, not gonna get the on. there we go. Uh, look through those lists and look at which qualities of a drifter are you most prone to? How will you handle them? And which qualities of, non of a non-drifter do you embody? And how will you continue that? Essentially, analyze yourself through the filter of those lists and figure out what do you need to do next in light of that. And hopefully you can bring to that, uh, to that plan some of our principles. Hopefully you can incorporate that into your vision of your ideal future self. Um, and with that, from me and, and Alex, if you wanna say anything as well, uh, thank you all for participating in this series. I loved going through this book. It's been amazing. I appreciate the entire journey and I look forward to the next one. Yeah, and, and I just want to thank everybody as well for, you know, being here and uh, attending and, and contributing. Just the talking through everything 
with everybody, I feel like is, has been a very important thing for me. And I've noticed myself just in other, you know, times during the day, just embodying more of these characteristics because, oh, I remember Joe mentioned that, or, you know, or, or we had a discussion about that. And it's just, it's, it's nice to, to see it, see it working and being effective, you know, just something very practical. So thank you from, from myself. So.